podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another Love Tennis Podlet with me, James Gray of iNews and iNewspaper. Uh, I'm joined by George Belshaw this morning. Uh, you'll be surprised to hear that he's doing more than one in a week. Uh, it's because he's got the day off and he's coming to Wimbledon. So I could have got him live, but I thought I'd get him on Zoom before he leaves the house. Uh, I apologise for wind noise. Uh, one of the um, problems with recording al fresco is that sometimes you do get wind noise and i haven't got a muffler which in many ways is my fault i admit but um we'll soldier on regardless i'm sure you'd prefer this to no pod at all or so people tell me uh, we're going to look back at yesterday's quarterfinals of which there were four two in the men's and two of the women's uh, i would argue that the men's were rather more dramatic than the women's for reasons that we'll go into uh, and then we'll have a quick look at the women's semi-finals uh, on thursday which of course may already have taken place by the time you hear them hear this but uh, we thought we'd give it a go anyway uh, we'll start with the men's quarterfinals from wednesday uh, nick kyrgios beat christian garen in straight set six four six three seven six although in truth it was a lot closer than the scoreline might suggest and rafa nadal uh, came through a five set test against taylor fritz uh, 3-6-7-5, 3-6-7-5, 7-6, 10-4 in the deciding tiebreaker. It was as much about Rafa Nadal's injuries as it was about his tennis. Uh, we spoke to him afterwards about what exactly was wrong with him, and he was quite downbeat on his chances. George, I mean, how much do we... Like, I feel, and I know people on Twitter say a lot, oh, Rafa Nadal says he's injured again, Novak Djokovic says he's injured again. Surely players don't take 20 miles and 10 miles an hour off their serve for a bit. No, I, I'm slightly more concerned given a lot of this is kind of around the ab rather than the foot in many ways. Yeah. Like he's kind of shedding a play through the foot. The ab, um, that's been a problem before and I've seen him just pull out of tournaments before when he's got a problem like that that really limits him and mm. he, you know, it's amazing he won won the match again. To be honest, Taylor Fritz has been a little bit unlucky in playing top players with ab injuries and them somehow <laughs> winning in five sets. As uh, Novak Djokovic has done to him in Australia before, but <clears throat> look, it was it was a good match. I thought Fritz played really well. Um, you know, he serves big, doesn't he? He's got a game that is really suited for grass. Um, Nadal, you seem is to be taken aback fighter. by his grass court record. I. I kind of just felt it should be better. Like, I mean, I've always said, you know, he's got everything to be a really good grass player. And you'll, you'll say, okay, he's won a couple of titles at Eastbourne. But I, I always counter at Eastbourne that for the men's field, it's traditionally quite a weak field. And I don't really view it as that strong a title. Many, you know, in the ways in the past, we've kind of spoken about like Casper Rudd playing those clay court tournaments after Wimbledon. You know, there are certain tournaments where, a player like Fritz, who's a top 15 player now and has always had big weapons and should be good on grass, almost should be winning that sort of level of tournament quite comfortably. Um, you know, his slam results, he's never been past the third round of Wimbledon before this year. People say, okay, he's lost a couple to Zverev, but I actually think Zverev's very beatable at Wimbledon. So I, I don't even view that as like a great result either, even though he feels like he should be good on grass. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I agree. Obviously, Zverev hasn't got a good record at Wimbledon, but I think this is what I pointed out to you yesterday, that the f- the four, I think four defeats uh, plus Nadal 
um, yeah. that Fritz has had at Wimbledon. Uh, two from Zverev, one from John Isra and one from Jan Leonard Struth. Like, yeah. it's not like he's turning out to Wimbledon, you know, sort of Yannick Sinner style, albeit this year was different, and losing to someone who he really should be beating in the first round. Like, yeah, yeah. he has beaten all a bit, a bit like Emma Raducanu, right? Not in Wimbledon terms, but in overall terms, that she's sort of beaten most of the people we expect her to beat, actually, when we consider that she's basically a world number 45. Um, but because of, I don't know, what we expect from Taylor Fritz and what we think he could do on grass, that doesn't yeah. necessarily happen. Um, yeah. I mean, he can take a lot away from this result, can't he? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that, that's what I was going to go on to say is that, you know, maybe my slight negativity about him in the past on grass was only built out of what I thought he could achieve. And I think he has achieved that this year. You know, he'll be really disappointed not to have won yesterday because um, he, he played great and he, he took it to Nadal. And, you know, when you sense Nadal's down, you really have to put him out else, else he will just hang in there and kind of keep going. And I think as he put on Twitter for its, um, you know, you can feel you're so close and that's when it hurts so much. Because he was there. There was, there was, you know, it's a coin toss, isn't it? A final set tie break. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it, it's a great platform for him to lead off. And, you know, we talk about Wimbledon a lot in terms of the next gen coming up and who's adapting to grass. You know, when Nadal and Djokovic are too old to <laughs> kind of keep going and keep winning these tournaments, there's going to be chances for guys like Fritz if people like Sissipas don't adapt. Zverev, you know, how good Algaraz going to be on the grass? Probably quite good in the end. But, you know, guys like even Kyrgios this week, you know, this this is the tournament I feel more than any other that there could be quite a lot of random winners over the next few years when we inevitably move into kind of the Alcaraz era of dominance. The post-Big Four era, you might call yeah. it. Um, yeah, you mentioned, like, how gutted he was and he was incredibly downbeat in press. Uh, you know, it, he's got this... People may not have seen it, but his hairstyle is quite odd at the moment because he, he obviously wears the bandana on court. But he's got these sort of 1990s curtains. You know, sort of imagine Hugh Grant in Notting Hill. And he was just doing this incredibly glum expression in press. And I felt really sorry for him. Um, and someone said, you know, what have you thought? What you've done here? What are your thoughts on what you've done here? And he said, well, taking a step back, it's nice. I made my first quarterfinal. I'm moving in the right direction. But I don't know, I would look at my form and how I feel I've been playing in my draw and I would expect myself to make quarterfinals. It's a great achievement, but I really, really wanted this match. Um, which, you know, I think is how a lot of players will feel after after losing, but it just felt poignant. I think, you know, you can say that of all the semi-finalists. We sort of had a bit of a, a, a chat about this yesterday on the... Um on our kind of WhatsApp, didn't we, that Calvin was sort of like just sticking the knife in at Kyrgios claiming it's like a 250 draw, but but none of these draws for these four guys have been, in the end, that bad, have they? I mean, like we would have expected all of them, in a way, to win every match they've had in front of them. Um, so, you know, Fritz is kind of right from that perspective in the sense that, yeah, like the, the guys who made it here, none of them came through that many matches where I was looking at before and thinking they can't win that, they shouldn't win that. Like they've they've really kind of got the job done, these semi finalists, and that's not to take anything away from them. It's just been one of those draws where it's kind of fallen away and you know, we said earlier in the week, didn't we, if we could pick any four semi finals from a very British bias perspective, it would definitely be Djokovic versus Norrie and Kyrgios versus Nadal, and I think it'll be a fantastic day when that happens. 
Um, let's talk about Nadal and the injury. It was inevitably just about the only thing he got asked in the English section of his press conference. Um, he said it was something he's been feeling for a couple of days, but it got much worse during the match, uh, that there wasn't much the physio could do really because of the type of injury that it is, an abdominal problem. They gave him some anti-inflammatories. They tried to relax the muscle a bit, but that was about it. Uh, he did admit that his father and his sister were telling him to retire at the end of the second set. Um, which is pretty remarkable. I don't think I've ever seen a box tell a player to retire. Um, Going in the I mean, white towel, isn't it, in boxing? Almost. I mean, isn't isn't that coaching, technically? <laughs> <laughs> Code violation, Mr. Nadal. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be absolutely hysterical. It's like yesterday, at one point, I thought Kyrgios was going to get a time violation because he actually did go over the clock, and I thought... I don't think I've ever seen Kyrgios get a time violation on serve. Like, I know he's had one. On return, one. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, but never on serve. Um, but yes, going back to Nadal and his injury, um, he was pretty circumspect when someone said, are you going to play on Friday against Kyrgios? Mm. He said, I'm not going to answer it because if tomorrow I get the scan, which I know he's having the scan today, and it comes back bad and I pull out, then I think he said, then I'm a liar. Um, which I thought was a pretty fair answer, to be honest, to say that. Um I think he will play because it's Rafa Nadal and, you know, he didn't quit when his dad told him to quit after two sets and I certainly think he's going to at least walk onto court. It's weird because I think he's more likely to quit between the matches than on the court. So you I think? actually wouldn't be that surprised to see him pull out. You know, there was that French Open, wasn't there, 2015 maybe, where he quit between the second and third rounds. There's There was uh, maybe Indian Wells or Miami when he was due to face Federer in the semifinals. Mm. Just pulled out Se- of that. Second and third round of a slam, though, is different. Because... But it's the French. It's the French, isn't it? I mean, yeah, like, but you... but you're saying you, by turning up for that third round injured, you're saying I am fit enough to play five more matches. Whereas in this case, I know he's only got to get through two matches. I appreciate that's kind of underestimating what he's got to go through. But you know, Kyrgios isn't going to be a physical match. I think I think it's more for him that in the cold light of day when he's not competing he's quite a rational person and can kind of look at his body and take serious decisions once he's in the court in fully competitive bull mode i'm not saying he doesn't think rationally but you kind of you kind of do have to think irrationally to be that good you have to be so focused dialed in all the time that it's harder for him to quit and you know he has retired from matches before don't get me wrong but i just feel that it's slightly more likely. I'm not saying he will necessarily, you know, because I'm a classic fence sitter, but I wouldn't be that surprised actually if he didn't make it to Friday. And what a way for Kyrgios to reach a Grand Slam final that would be. <laughs> I mean, it would be, in what has already been quite a remarkable championship, so it would kind of be quite appropriate if that ended up being the way that Nick Kyrgios' first Grand Slam semi-final ends up. Um, it's a good way to move on to Kyrgios' straight sets victory over Christian Garin, which, as I mentioned, it was straight sets, but it was so much higher level than that. Um, in the third set, which went to a tie-break, uh, Garin did not make an unforced error from the baseline until the tie-break. He played 12 games without an unforced error, which... It's just incredible. Um, Kyrgios, meanwhile, was composed. He was mature. He, I have to say, he really kept it together. He was whinging in his box a bit, and the photographers on the far side of the stadium told me that he was actually swearing quite a lot um, in the direction. Water is box. wet, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but like, it's such a farce that they get. They're supposed to get a code violation for audible obscenity, and but but they sort of get away with swearing loads until yeah. eventually I, the fair. umpire just picks a random one. What it's worth, 
I don't think the audible obscenity should exist. I think we should all just grow up and accept people swear occasionally, get over it. That's, that's my I think when it's I know bad. people will come back at me for the kids and stuff like that, but actually, you know, I don't really care on that one. I think probably you should make it like repeated swearing. Um, yeah, like, and like really hard, obnoxious, like continual <laughs> yeah. into. And I know that I know that creates grey area, but there's grey area at the moment. It's it's grey area anyway, yeah. It's a bit like the how time violations used to be before the clock. You know, they 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 would just sort of be a bit made up because it was a bit random when the umpire would start the clock and whether they'd actually bother penalising anyone. And they didn't until they put the clock on the screen. So maybe we should put a trans a live transcript of what each player is saying up on the big screen and then <laughs> and then then if the umpire notices then uh, then they get done. I, I could go quite wrong if you use like Otter software or something where you notoriously <laughs> put some funny things in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah Christian Garen I thought played incredibly well. Um I asked him afterwards if he was surprised by Nick's behaviour or sort of lack of behaviour I suppose. And he said, yeah, it was weird. Like there, there was nothing weird, and that was weird. Um, but he, I mean, Kyrgios was taken aback by Garen as well. He said he's going to have nightmares about his forehand return. Um, he broke Kyrgios to love in the first game of the match, which I actually think sort of showed Kyrgios' nerves. He kind of hinted that he was nervous, but I think, George, he was probably very, very nervous. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Kyrgios has got this permanent, you know, attempt to project him some self as someone who doesn't care but he's always said he's good enough to do it and it's, it's almost a lack of effort that's stopping him but he clearly does care he wouldn't react how he does on court if he didn't care if he didn't want it he does want this and mm. you know he'll go into that match in the semis he'll know if he's playing Nadal is wounded he, he won't get a better chance to kind of reach a grand final at least while these two are kicking around he'll know he's never lost a Djokovic I know we can put asterisks on those matches because they came in Djokovic's kind of worst period but that's still a big mental thing and you know if you're going to beat Djokovic having the serve Kyrgios has it's a pretty pretty useful weapon because mm. you know it it keeps you in the matches you know you don't have to play get that into it you can frustrate Djokovic's rhythm you know Djokovic loves doing that to other players but in a slower way Kyrgios disrupts your rhythm because it's just random it's just like quick fast bang you do, it's hard to get in a rhythm and I've heard Nadal talk about that before that you know, it's harder to stick in with Kyrgios in so many ways because you just don't know what's coming. Like It's just total randomness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, he, he'll he fancy his chances. He really, you have to, don't you, in the semi-finals? You know, Norrie will fancy his chances. You know, Norrie's got the least chance of the four, you'd say, you know, with the greatest respect to Norrie and how well he's done. You know, I can't see him going through Djokovic, then one of Nadal or Kyrgios on grass. But, you know, anyone who's in the semi-final can win these tournaments they'll believe it and that makes you more nervous and worried so yeah of course you'll be feeling massive nerves going into the weekend just a brief note on Christian Garin Calvin said he had no chance on grass and I'm sure we'll say he lost in straight sets and Calvin Calvin basically hates it and he's like oh a lot of games went to juice um, <laughs> which in fact they actually didn't but he he showed he can play on this surface and that he's a proper player yeah I mean look he's been fourth round before I think the thing is with Garin he's, he's one of those players who wins the match as he should win and then won't mm. beat the big players in slams. I think that'll be the story of his career. He'll get a lot of quarterfinals on clay, the odd fourth round, and then he'll run into a a very good player and will lose. And, you know, I, I, you know we spoke about this Garen match um, at the weekend and I didn't really fancy his chances, to be honest, Garen, like in terms of 
what he's got against Nick, but I thought he played, as you say, pretty well, made it a good match. And yeah, look, it, it's been a tough year for him. He's not played well. He's dropped significantly down the rankings. I know Calvin took the mick out of me yesterday when I kind of said Garen is a top 25 player. That's how I view him. I think he's a, a good, consistent player who's going, who's had a bad six months. And it's a mm. shame he's not getting the ranking points from this to kind of bring him back up towards those kind of higher, you know, nearer the seedings or whatever. Um, I think he'll get back there, no problem, because he's a good competitor. He's got a lot about him. And as I say, you know, at Slams, he is winning a lot of matches he should, really. I think if I had to predict his career high ranking, like, eight, like, I can see him, like, in, you know, slipping his way up to eight quite comfortably. It'll be, it, it wouldn't be that surprising if he has a bit of a career like Gotham, in many mm. ways. You know, career high he's not going to go past quarterfinals, Goffan, you know, I was marvelling this week. He's the 39th highest ever player, paid male player, which, you know, is obviously skewed by kind of modern money. Yeah. But but it is, you know, Goffan has not won that many major titles of significance, but he's there and he turns up and he's a top, he can get top 10 quarterfinals of slams, you know, and you don't want to play these guys. They don't go away. No. I seem to think David, David Goffan might only have like five or six career titles. You know, and he turned pro thirteen years ago, which is pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, but as as I wrote, breakout was a lucky loser. I mean, people yeah, yeah. often forget that. Like, as I as I um as I wrote in the paper this morning, uh, tennis is a weird game because almost everyone loses almost every week. Yeah, like it's really strange. It makes that um if you can treat meet with victory and uh, what is it success and disaster victory and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same the kipling quote that's on the players corridor at wimbledon makes it relevant to tennis players um let's briefly move on george because i know you've got to hit the road to come to wimbledon funnily enough um and look at the women's semi-finals that you're going to be watching uh i'm quite pleased i can't it's not as bad as it could have been i say that with respect to, to the professional women's tennis players that there are but if there were four people that no one had ever heard of in the semi-finals, that'd be a problem. As it is, we've got uh, Ons Jabour against Tatiana Maria, which is an interesting match in itself because they're both kind of slices and dices, but an interesting match off the court because they are virtually best mates. Auntie Ons, Tatiana's kids call her. And they've got good stories, don't they? You know, mm. we always talk about kind of Jabour being a like, um, flag bearer for Arabic women in tennis. Mm. But Maria's, you know, she's a flag bearer for kind of mothers coming back to sport you know she's had some really good results since coming back i remember meeting was it serena in one of the early rounds of a slam when okay they were both coming back as mothers um maybe it might have been the u.s possibly um i remember i remember her from that um particularly but you know what a story her kind of running through to the semi-final she's barely done anything in the slam since then since that kind of return and um yeah now <laughs> There's no reason, again, you know, kind of what we're just saying with the men's, there's no reason any of these players can't win this title now. And that's particularly true in the women's game in the sense that you've got Halep, who's won two. The others are not experienced at all, really, at this stage of a slam. So why not? You know, Halep's the favourite for me based on that previous experience. Jabour closely second because I think she's got the best game this year um, outside of Sviontek and Barty pre the retirement. Uh, she's played brilliantly and she's got a great game for grass. The Ribakina serves, always dangerous, keeps her in the match. Um, 
but I, th- I think Halep will be too much there today, and I suspect Jabal will beat Maria, who's probably my my fourth favourite for the title in a similar vein to Cam Norrie. Uh, Elena Rabakina, the fourth most effective serve in the entire tournament, uh, fifth for unreturned serves, um, up against Simona Halep, who's a great defender and a great returner. It's a pretty good, you know, I always say styles make matches, and I think this style makes a good match, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think both the matches are good today. I'm genuinely, like, I was a little bit worried because, you know, they're not cheap tickets, women's semi-finals day. And I was looking at the draw like, oh, God, what on earth is this going to be? But I, I'm actually really looking forward to it in terms of the two, as you say, the styles, the clashes, the players, the mentalities. You know, there's all, we spoke about it a little bit with Kyrgios feeling the nerves. You know, all of these players are going to believe they win this tournament, all of them, and that they're obviously not. I mean, it's just going to be, how are they going to handle this question? Halep is demolishing people, by the way. I mean, she is turning it on big style but we've seen before when we're certain she's going to win slams and it it just doesn't happen mm. so you know she's only won two and she's better than that really um, yeah so yeah i still would back her to be honest but who know. are you spending this very expensive ticket on george who's your accompanier <laughs> for the day uh i'm going with one of my friends michelle from uh, the tennis club that right. I've not been able to use for a long time due to significant injuries. So it's nice to go <laughs> and watch some actual tennis. Are you still going to be on crutches today? I'm off crutches. Yeah, that's very so, exciting. Going to see yeah, you hobbling around the grounds. Yeah, yeah I, I'm walking, stuff. walking pretty well. You'll see me go up the stairs masterfully as well towards <laughs> the media bar. Well, if you are at Wimbledon on Thursday and you see a very tall ginger man with a bit of a paunch on him uh, hobbling up some <laughs> stairs, then uh, that'll be George Belshaw, and you must stop and say hi. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and do come back tomorrow. Podcast Network.